isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. We're almost in exactly the same spot this year as we were last year. Heading into Martin Luther King Day weekend, we've had almost no snow. But as Lisa pointed out before the podcast began, we're about to get some. It's one of the subjects we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, and I am here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Laura loves getting the snow. She's about to drive to Vermont to (laughs) basically bathe in it. Uh, But now she could probably stay home and ski here. Let's get going. Has Ohio House Republican upstart Derek Maron accepted his loss to Jason Stevens for the House Speaker role? Or, Lisa, is he acting like the immature child that was elected way too young? He's basically dug in his heels here. Derek Maron, when he was asked by reporters, who's the leader of the House, you know, Republicans, he says, I'm the leader of the House GOP. He says, we're going to do everything in our power to pass conservative and Republican policies. But to do that, He needs 50 votes to pass bills. He can't do it without support from the 22 Republicans that voted against him and all of the Democrats that voted for Jason Stevens. And he was to meet with Stevens yesterday afternoon. I don't know if we've got an update on that. He wanted to have a good faith discussion on House rules. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure did. (laughs) And you're going to keep laughing because he says, we want this to be an inclusive process to choose committee chairs, and we won't stand for the concentration of authoritarian power, which is, I think, why 22 Republicans said, no, we're not going to have any of that in the in the state house here. He did meet with his backers or about 40 Republicans that backed him. And they they went to the clerk's office to try to restore the bill or House Joint Resolution six or whatever it is that, um, you know, restores the 60 percent threshold for voter approval of constitutional amendments. And that's the thing when Marin was like elected behind closed doors by his caucus in November, he was going to set a very aggressive legislative agenda and put this at the top of the list. But Stevens, who voted against that resolution in the lame duck, is not really eager to move forward with it right now. Um, We talked to the League of Women Voters. Jen Miller says this Marin's, you know, histrionics are unnecessary, unpopular and undemocratic. Yeah, he's a buffoon because they censured the people that didn't vote for him. If you want to get together with the other Republicans to get things done because you don't have the votes, then you need to reach out with warmth and and smiles and say, OK, all right, you didn't vote for me, but we're still all Republicans. Let's work together. Instead, they voted to censure them, hardening the line. We had a quote in Capital Letter where one of the guys that was censured was like, wait, let me get this straight. I'm a Republican who voted for a Republican and they're censuring me. It's it's just crazy what he's doing. And I look, I it boggles my mind. They have super majority of the House, right? And they're doing it to themselves. I mean, it just the, the divisions that they create. The, the first thing he should have done when Stevens won was go meet with him and say, OK, I don't like the way you did it. I don't like the, the fact you're working with Democrats, but we we share a conservative agenda. How can we get things done? 
He said he meets in secret and says, I'm in charge here. Right. And it just, it's a really bad look. And for him to use words like good faith and inclusive when he basically, you know, censured his fellow party people, I mean, that's, that's, it's ludicrous. I, I do wonder whether Stevens, who seems to be a much smarter politician, will figure out a way to to bridge the divide in spite of Marin. I mean, Marin is a problem. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's strident. But the Republicans largely do share the same agenda. People generally like Stevens. He was voted one of the nicest legislators in our Sloopy Awards. And I'm betting that he has the tact and the pragmatism to reach out and, and build some bridges. We will see. It's today in Ohio. Lawyers in Cleveland and elsewhere were a flutter about a scandalous text that was sent by a Cleveland attorney to a colleague. Well, this just blew up in legal circles over the past 48 hours. All of us were hearing about it independently. What had them buzzing? Yeah, so John Delano, who was a senior attorney at Zashin and Rich, a prominent employment law firm in Cleveland, has has owned up to sending a text message to a former colleague that went viral because it was just all kinds of horrible for what it signals about the way women are treated at this firm and, and presumably other large firms where women are, are often in the minority. So here's what happened. This colleague of his had returned from maternity leave and announced that she was leaving for another job. And Delano sent her this text in which he called her soulless and morally bankrupt for accepting another job after she returned. And he wrote, what you did, collecting salary from the firm while sitting on your A, except to find time to interview for another job, says everything one needs to know about your character. Karma's a B. He also said that he recommended that she be fired for interviewing for that other job. So this woman then shared this text with Kelly Barnett, another attorney in town, and Barnett posted it to LinkedIn to out the misogynistic culture at many large firms. And that's where the text really began to go viral. There were 13,000 reactions to it and 1,900 comments within you know a day or two. And soon it was picked up by at least one industry publication and everyone in the legal community was on fire about it. Suffice it to say that by the end of the day, Tuesday, Delano no longer worked at the firm. And and that's pretty good comeuppance, you know, or in his words, karma's a bee. <laughs> Can I yeah. offer another perspective here, Chris? Can I jump in here? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. What this woman did was lousy. I'm sorry. I do not care about that. She worked for a law firm that offered open-ended paid maternal leave. Very few people get that. That's a pretty forward-thinking policy for pregnant women in the workplace. She takes this leave during which her colleagues most likely had to take on her caseload. They were short-staffed while she was gone. She comes back and a couple days later, she says, sorry, I'm taking another job. That's highly unprofessional. It's... And it makes women in the workplace look bad. I mean, would you want to hire a pregnant woman or someone who's likely to become pregnant after hearing this story? Yes, the email was nasty. It was not misogynistic. It was nasty. But I'm sorry, what she did was highly unprofessional. I don't know. I have a I have a different kind of view. We we've dealt with a lot of people on our own staff who've had kids in just the past few years, and. I, and I'm a, I'm a parent. I know how hard 
it is in those first six months of having a child to do all the stuff you've got to do, especially if it's your second or third. And so I, I don't really begrudge anybody who, while they're at home coping with all of that, they're thinking about their, their future. Maybe she's looking for a job that when she does go back to, it's, it's less demanding. But, but I, I get what you're saying. I, if, I, if it were me managing somebody like that, I'd be bummed. I'd be like, okay, I, we got to deal with this. We got to fill the position. The more shocking thing to me, though, is putting that kind of thing into writing. I wonder whether he had had a drink or two, because that's mm-hmm. generally when people send idiotic texts and emails. I mean, it just should be an absolute rule that the minute you have your first sip of wine, you don't go on your keyboard. <laughs> it, it always ends badly. But but because what he wrote was just so vicious and stupid. It, and it, you just don't do that. Yes, it was. But imagine if this was a man who had taken open-ended leave for medical, like a knee surgery or something, did the same thing and got the same email. Would he be like, oh, first of all, and, and the woman that this happened to has remained anonymous. It was another person who put it on on the social media. So she reminds be behind the shield of anonymity, lobbing fireballs. And it just, I don't know. I just think it's a bad look. I'm sorry. I, I, I wonder ahead, how long she worked for the firm before that, because maternity leave is a benefit. But if you've been working there for a decade, like it's something that you've put in your time. And so I understand where Lisa's coming from. I, I do think that the firm would have a right to be disappointed by that and for for colleagues who were filling in to feel a little burned. But to say you're sitting on your A when you're on maternity leave, it shows this guy's kind of clueless. Well, Look, and, and it also alienates women completely yes. in an industry that is already, already very, you know, short on, on uh, diversity in women. I mean, that is just, I think it's unconscionable I cannot imagine being treated this way. Look, I'm big on honor when you give your word that you live up to it. And we've had cases where we've people have come in and they've asked for more money. We've given it to them, you know, with the idea that they're going to stick around and then they get a job offer and they leave and you feel burned. I mean, I, it's mm-hmm. happened occasionally. I never like it. I, you know, I think less of the people who do it because I'm big on keeping your word. But it happens. I mean, it's part of the workplace. Sometimes you get disappointed by the people you work with. You move on. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, so she did all that. She's leaving. Go, go work to replace her. And one of the ways that you replace her is by making your workplace attractive. And you don't do that by being publicized for writing this kind of email. Uh, so it, it's just a fascinating story. But Layla, you said he's no longer employed there. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That, well, I mean, that's what our story reports is that by the end of the day, Tuesday, he was no longer there. Um, but. <laughs> okay. I, I, I know he had, a, he had finally apologized. I didn't realize he had been displaced. Well, interesting that that's the way it uh, resolved. Good discussion. Check out the story. It's on Cleveland.com. And you are listening to Today in Ohio. Last year this time, we were talking about how wonderful it was, most of us, to have so little snow. Then we got walloped on Martin Luther King Day, and we had snow on the ground deep for at least six weeks. Laura, how are we doing this year? 
Well, we are actually ahead of where we were last year. I do want to clarify that you were talking about how wonderful it was <laughs> to have so little snow. And I keep thinking about last winter as marvelous because it was so bright outside with all the snow covering the ground. Because I don't think there's much worse weather-wise than the dingy brown you know, piles of snow that melts and you got lots of brown and ugliness around you. I, I but... want to remind everybody you're a native Canadian. Just, just putting <laughs> it out there. So I had written that, you know, spoiler alert, we weren't supposed to get any big snow on Martin Luther King Day. We're supposed to get rain, but we are supposed to get snow overnight tonight, Thursday into Friday, starting around, you know, between one and four in the morning, depending on where you're living, that rain that we're going to see today will turn into snow and you could have accumulations as much as six inches in some places, nine in the very heart of the snow belt. So we could get dumped on, but I, it, by the end of the season last year, we ended up with 48 inches of snow. And I was looking through my photos and, you know, Winter Storm Landon was the first weekend in February last year. And I had written on Instagram that we were on shovel number three. So, you know, from one winter <laughs> storm. So, I mean, there's a lot of winter left to go. I, you look outside and you think it looks like March. Yeah, I mean, it, if we get six to eight inches, that's that's a significant snowfall. And I'm going to be really glad that Friday is one of the days we don't work in the office because then you don't have to commute in it. Uh, right. But but it sounds like yeah, we're gonna we're going to get it. We really haven't had anything in the way of a significant snowfall. What was the biggest snowfall we had? Was it like two or three inches? I think mm-hmm. it would have been just right before Christmas when Winter Storm Elliot. Even though that but, was gnarly like it didn't have that much snow with it and overall we're 10 degrees above normal for this winter so far we're about an average of 40 degrees so that's why we all the precipitation we've gotten has been rain well let's keep burning our natural gas to make sure we keep that warm level going (laughs) (laughs) it's today in ohio Why is a new study from the CDC a wake-up call for anyone who uses tap water for things other than cooking, washing, and drinking? Lisa, the story pointed out that men understood this less than women, and I'm guilty. I did not know much of what was in this story, and it's kind of frightening. Well, and and they don't want to frighten people. I mean, the CDC uh, published this study just for awareness and education, but the study was published in the Journal of Emerging Infectious Diseases. They found that there were many incorrect beliefs about the safety of tap water, and um, U.S. water does meet standards for drinking, uh, cooking, and bathing, but there are always low levels of bacteria, fungus, algae, and viruses that remain even after treatment, and they're mostly harmful. Harmless. But they can cause infections, though, if they're introduced through your eyes, your nose, and your throat. And also, they found the emergence of biofilms, which form in, like, you know, your pet dish. It's like that scum that you get on top of a water or, you know, a humidifier. And this has gotten into municipal water supplies. And these are basically these same little pathogens that just form these layers. And it's really, really hard to get rid of it. They say that this is actually, you know, these uh, biofilms are the estimated cause of about 120,000 hospitalizations and 7,000 deaths. So they're saying tap water, drink it, you know, bathe with it, cook with it, but do not use it for like clearing your sinuses. If you use like a neti pot or something like that, do not use it to clean or store your contact lenses. Don't use it in humidifiers or essential oil diffusers. Um, You can use boiled or distilled water instead. All you have to do is boil your water for one minute and it's, you know, it's good to go. 
I, I think this is one of the most useful stories, public service-wise, we've had in a while because it sounds like it could keep a lot of people healthy. I just had no idea. Did anybody, did you all realize this? You're women, so you're supposed to know more than me about this. <laughs> As I fill up my humidifier every couple of days with, you know, water from the faucet, no. <laughs> we use no distilled water in our, because you just open up the humidifier and you see all the stuff that's growing right. there from it the It is gross. Tap I always water. thought it was from like the air that yeah. I don't know. It's definitely wow. the water. But I mean, also, I don't use a neti pot for this exact reason. Mm. I mean, mm -hmm. you know me, I Google things like, <laughs> you know, brain eating amoeba. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, it's a good story. If you're not aware of this, please check it out. It's on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. How badly was Cleveland affected by the computer glitch that grounded flights across the nation Wednesday? Laura, this wasn't Southwest's fault. This was the fault of the U.S. government. The U.S. government and bad technology. It sounds like the Ohio Unemployment Office. The FAA put out a ground stop on Wednesday morning about 7.30 because of this computer problem. And in Cleveland, dozens of departures and arrivals were delayed or canceled. There were flights on a whole host of airlines. By 5 p.m. yesterday, at least 9,200 flights within or into or from the United States were delayed. 1,300 were canceled. What really... This is fascinating, but apparently the the computer issues developed on Tuesday in the afternoon. They found this corrupt file in the Notice to Air Missions system, which is really important. It provides safety information to flight crews. It advises pilots of issues along their route and their destination, so you need it to fly. And the backup system also had a corrupted file. So they purposely rebooted the system. They thought they could do it in the middle of the night and it wouldn't affect too many people, but it took a little bit longer than they had expected. And Wednesday morning traffic was just a mess. Yeah. And, they, and yeah, nationwide, it was a mess. Cleveland, do we have any numbers about Cleveland? Just dozens is what Susan Glazer had reported. I mean, I can't say that we were going to be the major problem. We're not, you know, Atlanta. But I'm sure it was a pain to everyone who just figured, what is, there's no weather problem right now. It's not snowing. Why am I not being able to fly? And they wow. said it's not a cyber attack. It's just <laughs> a government with old technology. What, what was interesting is the, the Pete, Pete with the unpronounceable last name. Buttigieg. Yeah, who heads up the DOT was pretty harsh when Southwest computers were such a problem over the Christmas holiday. And now it's his computers that are failing miserably. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of like Biden criticizing Trump for having classified documents. And now he has classified documents that are not supposed to be there. Uh, kind of, you got to be careful when you criticize others, if you have a vulnerability, it's today in Ohio. Are we getting closer to having dedicated and safe bike lanes on a couple of major Cleveland arteries? Layla, there was a lot of misreporting, it turns out, yesterday, but it wasn't the fault of reporters. Yeah, right. Media kind of everywhere got this wrong. We're talking here about these, these long-held plans to add 4.3 miles of protected bike lanes to Superior and Lorraine Avenues. And so what happened this week is city council advanced this through municipal services committee on Monday, and it'll be up for council approval soon. Our story on cleveland.com inaccurately reported that they've already passed it in council, but that was because council had sent out a press release saying that it had passed and it really confused the media. So we all took that bait. But <laughs> that said, here's the plan 
that's under consideration. It's the superior the Superior Avenue cycle track, which is called the Superior Midway, will include two two-way bike lanes down the center of the road from Public Square to East 55th Street. We're talking about a 10-foot wide bikeway that would be separated from car traffic by eight-foot wide buffers on either side. And the Lorraine Midway, which was formerly called the Lorraine Avenue Cycle Track, will run from West 20th Street to West 65th Street with bike lanes running down one side. So these two projects combined with a leg of the planned Memorial Bridges Loop Trail across the Lorraine-Carnegie Bridge would really give cyclists this protected east-west corridor through the heart of the city. And this also would really begin to make good on the city's complete and green streets ordinance that was passed last summer. That piece seeks to ensure that streets are safe for all types of traffic, not just cars, but pedestrians and cyclists too. And all told, these two projects are expected to cost somewhere in the ballpark of like 55 to $60 million. That seems like a lot of money for six miles of bike lane. There's no danger that this is going to get rejected. The idea that everybody reported it was passed, now <laughs> they're saying it's not passed. It's not because there's opposition. It's just the process of it's which- It's the process. Yeah. yeah. And I think the the fact that it went through, you know, it sounds like it skated through this committee uh, and, you know, this- when it, by the time it gets to to council, I think it'll have been fully vetted and it'll be ready for ready for the floor vote. Okay, it's today in Ohio. We came up with a novel way to figure out what Ohioans were thinking about as they approached their New Year's resolutions this year. Lisa, did we find anything surprising? Maybe not surprising. It was interesting, though. Uh, basically, what we did is our statisticians at uh, Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer took a look at Google Trends data on search queries. And so we compared like 60 different New Year's resolutions and variations of such from searches in the first week of January this year and then compared it to the first week of January last year. And uh, the score was given like a, a zero to 100 score, 100 being, you know, total saturation or whatever. So um, the most searches with a Google Trends score of 100 in Ohio is gym membership. The most interest, and we broke this down geographically, the most interest in this particular resolution was in the Cleveland-Akron area. And they said it's actually the most searches on gym memberships in this area in 20 years. So that puts it at the number seven uh, slot for resolutions in Ohio. Number six was recycling with a Google Trends score of 98. Most uh, queries came from the Toledo area. Next was paying off credit with a score of 95, and most of the searches came from Dayton. Losing weight, a perennial big one, uh, with a Google Trends score of 94, and most searches were in Youngstown. And going down the list, yoga, diet, and then travel was actually, even though the Google Trends score was 87 for travel, it was the most searched New Year's resolution in Ohio with the most searches occurring in Columbus. It was just a really interesting way to get at that. I love the way we approach that because everybody writes about New Year's resolutions every year, uh, but this was more of a uh, kind of a holistic way of looking at it. Yeah, it was fascinating and how you broke it down geographically. And I guess you use total searches in a geographic area and then a time range to compare the relative popularity. So, yeah, this is really good work by, uh, you know, our data group. Okay, check it out. It's on Cleveland.com, it's today in Ohio. 
It's not just Starbucks. What other commercial establishment in Northeast Ohio has workers seeking to form a union? Laura? REI, which is interestingly a co-op. So it's owned by its members, its customers. So you'd think they'd be a little more employee friendly, but it's a national retailer sells outdoor gear for things like camping, hiking, and climbing. And the only one in Northeast Ohio is an orange stores. And that's at, um, and now I'm Pine blanking Crest. on it, but the Yes, Pinecrest, the new um, lifestyle center in Orange. So stores in California and New York have already won new uh, union elections, and now they're going to be doing that in Orange. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I was with you on the. This is strange because it is the co-op. You wouldn't think that the workers would feel the need there, based on the way it's structured. Does REI have anything to say about it? You know, they they might have given us a, a quote late. Workers were saying they weren't, they're not being paid a fair wage and they're dealing with irregular scheduling, which you think in the retail market, I feel like it's hard to get mm. employees so that you would be really catering to them, especially you need people with expertise. This is not someone at Target that's just, I mean, I love Target, but they're just running it through the cash register, right? You go to REI and you want to know about the specifics of a bike. Like you're paying a lot of money for this or running shoes, you hiking shoes. The people go in there and they need the expertise. So I would think, I would have thought that these people would have been able to get a decent wage. Um, but the statement from REI said they hadn't received notice yet from the labor board, but it supports the employee's right to unionize. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Maybe we saved this one for you. We didn't talk about it yesterday because <laughs> I know how important it is to you that your daughters get to experience this. So Top Thrill Dragster is not dead after all. Cedar Point is teasing fans about its eventual return. Well, yeah, everyone knows the backstory here. In August 2021, a piece of metal flew off of the moving dragster car and struck a woman who was waiting in line for the ride, and it really injured her very severely. And the ride has been shut down ever since. Cedar Point in September of this year then announced they were going to retire the dragster, but they were in the process of reimagining the ride. So it kind of left it up to our imagination as to what that's going to be. Well, on Monday... They posted a video with the caption, coming 2024, and it's still unclear what exactly they're going to build in that spot. But the park says they basically wanted to let people know that the new ride is not going to open this summer, but next summer. Susan Glazer has reported that in recent months, numerous pieces of the track from the coaster have been removed, which led to speculation that the park is replacing the ride's very complicated, maintenance-prone launch system with a simpler magnetic-based system. But, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this. I, you know, I love the dragster. I thought that was, I thought it was a great ride. I do think it, you know, I'd love to have my kids experience it because it's such a unique coaster. But I think after what happened, you know, it was necessary for Cedar Point to transform this into something else just to make park attendees comfortable again, even being in the shadow of the thing. And, you know, after injuring someone so badly, the dragster had a lot of stigma attached to it, but the track is so iconic and it's, it's, I mean, I just don't know how you can alter it enough to erase that stigma and start fresh. I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to change, you know, they'll change the launch system, repaint the cars and be like, Welcome to our new ride, the Top Thrill Schmagster. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's like you gotta. I don't know. I don't know how this is gonna. 
I don't know. Don't you feel I have felt uncomfortable thinking about it. <laughs> so Yeah, but it was a beloved ride. It's amazing how much attention this got. The, the, just the little tease uh, lit people up on fire. People love Cedar Point. I mean, you could put out any little bit of news about Cedar Point and people would gobble it up. All right. It's Today in Ohio. We're short today. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Friday talking about the week of news. <laughs> <laughs>